Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, worthy to be praised, I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hey everybody, I'm Andy Baylog. And I'm Jordan Pine. Let's get started. Today we're going to talk about a subject that most Christians would rather not discuss, the wrath of God. Now, this topic was raised by Steve, the man who graciously serves as the announcer for the show, you just heard his voice actually, and does our scripture readings. Yes, Brother Steve is a seminary graduate and is in the process of becoming an ordained minister, and he's often asked to preach from the schedule of topics that many denominations follow. And the topic that came up recently was this topic, God's wrath. So, you know, Steve and I talked about it, and we agreed that it's a very challenging topic to teach. For modern churches, it's very, you know, fire and brimstone, old school. So there's a risk of, you know, people are worried about turning people off or maybe feeding into false doctrines and perhaps even deceiving unbelievers by taking the focus off of God's love and the many positive attributes of our faith and making it negative. However, we never shy away from a challenge, and we know that everything in the Bible is there because it serves God's purpose in some way. So we're going to take a closer look at this topic today. Let's listen now to the Word of God. Two readings from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who, by perseverance in doing good, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That was Romans chapter two, verses five to eight, and chapter 5, verses 8 to 10. So as always, longtime listeners of this show will know, we start by trying to understand the context and other things of a passage of Scripture before we actually dive into trying to explain or interpret it. And we use an acronym for that that's called the SPACE method. We call it the SPACE method, S-P-A-C-E. The S-P stands for the speaker, the A for the audience, and the C for context, and that comes before the E explanation. So let's use it on today's scripture reading, Andy. Sure, we'll start with the speaker, SP. The speaker today is the Apostle Paul, and the audience are the members of the church in Rome. Now, putting scripture together, we believe the Apostle Paul not only had the full authority of an apostle, that is one who had seen 
and been taught personally by Jesus, which he was in the desert of Arabia, but that he also had a special doctrine about Christ's kingdom, which he specifically called my gospel. Question for you, Jordan. When did Paul see Jesus? Yeah, maybe this could be a uh, trivia question for those of you listening out there. Um, In the time that I've been talking, maybe you thought of the answer. That's on the road to Damascus. Okay, very good. And when was he taught by Jesus? So this one's trickier. Um, We believe it was during his three years in the desert of Arabia, and that's in um, Galatians 1, 11 to 12, and 16 to 17. If you put those, there's some stuff in between, but to put those together, Paul writes, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, very important, nor was I taught it by man, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then skipping to 16 and 17, after my conversion, we'd put in parentheses there, he says, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia, and from other contexts, we know that was for three years. Yeah, so it kind of sounds like he's a rogue here, right? But he's not. It was not. And you know what jumped out at me there is, not only did he say that I didn't receive it um, from man, he says, nor was I taught it by a man. Right. Right? So we know that he's not talking about the gospel of grace here. This is something specific, which, fairly enough, he calls it my gospel. Now, Jordan, as for the audience, the Roman church was made up of both Jewish and Gentile Christians from the capital of the Roman Empire, the ancient equivalent of Washington, D.C. As this letter was written circa AD 56, and we know that Pentecost was AD 30, these Romans had been Christians for no more than about 20 years or so. And there was no doubt still they were adding new members daily, particularly Gentiles. Right. So that's important to speaker in the audience. And then as for the context, the context of the first reading is separation from God through unbelief and its consequences. And the context of the second reading is reconciliation with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The end of chapter one makes the following points. We'll go through it quickly. Point number one, it's obvious that God exists. There's no excuse for not worshiping him because, quote, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. All of creation testifies, Romans 1.20. Um, point number two, humans have sinned by exchanging, quote, the truth of God for a lie, and by worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. They have chosen to trade, quote, the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of animals. And that's Romans 1, 23 to 25. Animals being my paraphrase. He goes on to specify which sort of uh, images. So, you know, this idolatry has caused them to defile their bodies and develop depraved minds, Paul says. And as evidence, he lists every possible sin you can think of, from bragging all the way up to murder. And then he says this, quote, The ordinance of God is that those who practice such things are worthy of death. And that's Romans 1.32. Very good. So chapter 2 continues this theme. It begins by calling those who are judging these sinners hypocrites because they are committing the same sins that they judge others for committing. Paul says to them, quote, Do you suppose when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself that you will escape the judgment of God? Keep that phrase judgment of God in mind as we heard it in our scripture reading and we'll hear it again. Now, moving on to the context of our second reading, Romans 5 begins, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 6, which comes right before our second reading, 
continues that thought, and it reads, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So we have this contrast here between man's depravity and the fact that God's law clearly judges us as worthy of death versus atonement through the Lord Jesus. Right, so now that we know the speaker, audience, and context of our scripture reading, we're ready for the E, the explanation. So to start, Andy, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat this. Um, The wrath of God is not to be taken lightly. We shouldn't shy away from that. As Hebrews 10.31 puts it, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And I think it's most terrifying when we look at God's holy anger and wrath combined together, such as in these prophecies of the end times in Revelation. Maybe you can give some examples. Sure. I mean, you know, really quick, what jumps in my mind is the verse, and it's been echoing in my mind, is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right. This, this occurs a few times in Proverbs. It's my grandfather's favorite verse, you know. Um, you know, he had it printed on a badge that he would wear at church, and he was proud of that because once he learned, even though he might have been brought up in Catholicism or, you know, some old school Christianity, as he got older and learned to study the Word of God, he found the purpose of fearing God, what, what the reasons were. It wasn't so that, well, I need to fear God, and, and I have to have this, this, this fear because I might go to hell. Right. You know, I, I might just have a bad day today, and then I might die, and then I'm going to end up in hell, and I'm going to end up with the devil, and he's going to pitchfork me for eternity, you know? Right. That wasn't the case. He found out, according to Scripture, the reason why we fear God is because we do not want to displease Him. We do not want to be found as failures, as children today don't want to let their parents down. In the same way, it's in our DNA to make sure that we please our Father in Heaven. So once we're Christians, we need to have that reverence for God. You know, you might say, well, no, if you tell people they're not going to lose their salvation and everything's all fine and dandy, they're just going to sin like crazy. Totally untrue. Someone who's truly a child of God who loves their Father in heaven and who knows about the reward or the suffering of loss, which will occur one day at the Bema Seat, is going to know that they need to have reverence and fear of God. And you know, also, I think of Revelation chapter 14, and in there, it's, it's 14, 9 to 10, there's an angel that's declaring, quote, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, meaning God's anger. And he, that person, will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And then one more example, in Revelation chapter 16, we see the angel pouring, at, pouring out seven bowls of wrath, the wrath of God, upon the earth. And then after the seventh bowl is poured out, we read it says, Babylon the great was remembered, and not in a good way, before God, to give her the cup of the wine of literally the wrath of his anger. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And that's in Revelation 16, 19 to 20. Could you think of any more, Jordan? Yeah, there's one other one. Um, and again, you know, I think so. This is a good contrast because the actual words fire and brimstone appeared in the first reading that you gave. So, you know, you're talking about the Christian's reverential awe, that kind of a fear. And this is the fire and brimstone fear. And it's important for us to, to uh, establish these differences and to understand them. And we're going to lead up to, I think, the point that you were driving at, which is also, you know, how Christians should feel about which kind of fear or whatever. But sure. the, the other one that, I, that uh, I have here in my notes that, that I often think about as well is, you know, Judgment Day. Basically, when Jesus returns on the white horse to defeat the forces of evil, 
You know, the Bible says in Revelation 19 that out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he'll rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress, is the phrase there in Revelation. The winepress of what? Literally, in the Greek, it's the wine of the wrath of God's anger. So, you know, what does that mean? Later in verse 21, we get a, a really good idea of what that means, because the beast and his worshipers are thrown alive into the lake of burning sulfur, lake of fire, and the rest are slaughtered, Revelation says, so that all the birds were filled with their flesh. I mean, this is a, this is a horror show in the book of Revelation, just to, just to you know, really demonstrate that um, the wrath of God's holy anger against evil is, is no joke. You know, interestingly enough, Jordan, if you do a deeper study in Scripture regarding this judgment, you know, us Christians that read this, have to feel a slight remorse for this person that might be suffering this one day. But what we learn in Scripture, for instance, if you go to Isaiah, you'll see this too, is that the non-believer never truly has fear of God. No remorse, no repentance. God gives them opportunities even during tribulation to repent, and still they don't. And instead of weeping and crying over themselves and mourning because of their sin and lack of faith thereof towards God, they actually curse God and wave their fists at God. They hate God. Right. So if you're fearing God in any way, that is a telltale sign that you believe in God, that he is your father, you are a child, and that your faith is real. Right. That's a great point. You know, so it's, it's people that don't believe in God, nor do they choose to, nor ever want to. They hate God. Right. Th- they hate God. Right. And you know what? When God eventually does pour out his wrath, they'll hate him even more. Right. Yeah, and I, so I think the point you hit on earlier is very important to immediately get to, which is that we have to understand no believer will ever be subject to any of that horror that we read, because yeah, this gets into the doctrine of assurance, which you've already described in anecdotal form. It's, it's very important to, to revisit that doctrine. For those who believe that Christians can lose their salvation, our scripture readings today you know, not only don't support that, but they'll be contradictory if you, if you break it down. So, you know, getting into our, our reading, you know, I, I won't reread Romans 2, but the key point to remember again is that Paul's audience is believers. You know, they're, they're, they've been believers for about two decades now, the people in Rome. Obviously, there are new members in there. And he's addressing them directly here. This is key. Not speaking about some anonymous sinners outside of their church. You can see the directness, for example, Romans 2, 5, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. And then Romans 2, 3. Do you suppose when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same thing yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? And then, you know, um, I, so I think the you language is key there. He's speaking directly to them, people who are saved. So we, we have to be careful to discern between what he's talking about and, uh, and who he's talking about. And then he says things like, uh, verse 6, God will render to each person according to his deeds, which is speaking about works. Right, Andy? Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, also in verse 7, those who persevere in doing good, on the other hand, will gain eternal life. And that word in the Greek, eternal life, is not everlasting life, which means it'll go on and on and on. No, the subject here in the context is life in the millennial kingdom during the thousand years when Jesus will come back on the earth to rule and reign. Now, those who are stubborn or unrepentant or disobedient will face God's wrath. That We see that in verse 8. And then in verse 9, Paul adds, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. So yeah, I mean, there will be punishment. The bad children will get timeouts, and they will be punished. So if God's wrath means going to hell, then you'd have to say that, you know, Paul is saying that their unrighteous deeds or their 
evil works would cause them to lose their salvation. However, verse 9 contains a clue in the word soul. So quick question for you, Jordan. Why is that word soul clue here today? Yeah, so in our, in our little lingo, we would say it's because Paul is speaking of soul salvation. You know, really quick, that's the basic way to think about it is um, spirit, soul, and mind, or mind, body, and spirit, we've often talked about. Soul is, in the Greek, is the same word as mind, and it differentiates from spirit. People tend to interchange soul and spirit, but they actually are two different parts of man. So without getting too deeply into it, when the word soul appears in the, in the Bible, in the Greek, it's basically talking about, not talking about initial salvation or the gift, that's spirit salvation. It's talking about sanctification, not justification. It's talking about the ongoing process of uh, letting Jesus be the Lord of your life, which is called sanctification. In other words, it's not about getting into heaven. Very good, Jordan. Moving on. Now we understand Romans 5. This makes it a lot more clear for our listener. And we'll go to Romans 5, verses 8 to 10. And I will read that briefly. Verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, and that word justified is in the past tense, by the way, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more... Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And I think a key verse here is verse 9, Jordan, where it reads, Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Yeah, and why? Because we have received the reconciliation, it says in verse 11. So this suggests that God will not render to each person according to his deeds, contra to the previous reading that we looked at. Even those who are stubborn, unrepentant, disobedient, will not face God's wrath in the sense that we read about in the book of Revelation. Uh, even evildoers will not face tribulation and distress, which, again, it sounds weird. How can we reconcile these two things, Andy? What, what is this particular um, passage talking about? How does it not contradict the previous one? You know, I, I was thinking about it, Jordan, I know when we were studying this, and, and one thing I think of right away, and I'm sure everyone probably might have thought this at one point in their life, is that the devil— who knows quite a bit, who I'm sure knows Scripture even, because when he tempted Jesus in the desert, he knew to quote Old Testament Scripture, right? So you would have to think that he has access somehow, some way, to the book of Revelation. Right. And we already know that that's a rigged fight. We know that he's going to lose. We know that there's only one God. There's one God the Father, one God the Son, one God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And he's a dead man walking, I like to use that term, speaking of Satan. But yet still, his hatred and his evil is still not willing to repent, even though that, we know that's not the design, that's not God's plan, it's not part of the will. But you would think any creature knowing that they will end up in a lake of fire, which is to burn forever in constant torture, that that person would find himself at a point of saying, I'm sorry, I'm scared, what am I doing? No, they just don't care. They would rather suffer and be separated from God forever. However, when we're talking about Christians and we're talking about what a Christian might do wrong or warnings of how we live or how, you know, how we um, you know, lack in how we serve God and how we take advantage of God's grace, a lot of people might think, well, you know what, that's, that's, there you go. There's a sign that that person really doesn't love God and he's going to end up with the devil one day in the lake of fire. But these verses alone right here, the book of Romans proves differently 
that it's what Jesus did, even while we were still sinners, before we even knew who Jesus was, he looked at us from afar, outside of time, and said, I love Jordan, I love Andy, I love the listeners of the Mysteries of the Kingdom Ministry, and I'm going to die for them, and I'm going to have them believe in me. So praise God for that. You need to understand grace, and I think that's going to be the line in the sand, that if God has, has blessed us with his grace to a point where we believe in him and we accept him, that's, gonna, that's where we know that, yes, his wrath, he will be disappointed with us if we choose sin while being a Christian, but the wrath for the non-believer, for someone who rejects God, is, is it's still a wrath. So yes, he, he's emotional. God has emotion, and he's, he's going to love you, but he's also going to be upset when we, when we disobey him. Right, yeah, I, I, I see, I see um, more emotion in the anger, whereas wrath is judgment. Because you know, the question arises, why, why would the Apostle Paul be saying all these things to the people at the church at Rome? And I think, you know, the answer is he wanted them to go deeper, just because we're not subject to the wrath of God in the lake of fire sense. Um, the wrath of God, which is really the judgment of God, the righteous judgment of God, still exists, you know, and, and it still applies to us, but in a different way. And I think he wanted um, them to see deeper, to get to that my gospel level, the mystery level, where he, which he begins to express a little bit in the next chapter. In, in chapter six, he writes, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Again, speaking of that great sacrifice and, sa- and being saved from the wrath of God in the, in the uh, lake of fire judgment sense, so that you obey its lusts and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, you know, and your members as instrument of righteousness to God. That's Romans 6, 12 to 13. And then jumping down to verse 22, he also says, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification. There's that key, right. key word. And the outcome, which is eternal, or as you pointed out, age-lasting, kingdom-age life. So the wrath of God should evoke proper fear in Christians, but it should also emphasize by contrast that the life we're supposed to lead, a pure and holy and sanctified one, is what, what we should be thinking about. And you know, also, as well as, if you want to do a contrast, the promise of the opposite of God's wrath, which is not just you know, the neutral, I'm safe now, it's more the glorious, joyous inheritance that God's prepared for those who remain sanctified and obey Him. Yes, and actually learning these truths and understanding the kingdom truths and, and knowing now, as, as you listeners, we believe you the way Jordan and I have over the years, and that we, we pray that you do now as well. Now that you have a glimpse and a vision of what's to come and what, there, what we stand to lose by living unrighteously, that actually is an anchor to our soul, and that's what drives us to live righteously and to denounce sin and to choose God's path versus choosing the world's and choosing our old nature. Amen. And that is our lesson. Before we go, here are a few more ways to get 20-minute Bible studies. You can listen to a 20-minute Bible study anytime you like by visiting our website. We archive all lessons and make them available for free at 20minutebiblestudies.org. You can listen online or subscribe to have new lessons automatically delivered to your inbox. When you sign up for email alerts, we'll also send you a link to a special series we did called 10 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. This eye-opening set of Bible lessons is only available to email subscribers, and it's our little thank you for joining our online community. 
To sign up, just go to 20minutebiblestudies.org. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple and to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show. I'm Steve Zioli. Until next time, may the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.